Let's open up our Bibles today to Matthew chapter 1. The title of today's study is God with us. God with us. And we're going to see today that it makes a difference in three areas. Uh, Of course, in, you know, a plethora of areas, but there's three things that we'll talk about at the end of the study today. Number one is the fight of materialism. Number two is the fear of evangelism. And then number three is the fate of terrorism. And we'll kind of unpack those as we get there. But, you know, uh, it makes a difference, man. You know, in Christmas, these are things that we're fighting. The materialism, uh, it's an opportunity for evangelism. And even the way the enemy tries to come against us in one sense with that terrorism, the fact that God is with us, it changes everything. And so as we go to that verse here in Matthew 1, it's a little later in the chapter. Uh, I want to begin by looking at this story. And as we get there, I pray that God would speak to our hearts. Notice what you read here in Matthew 1 in verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And so here we see the dilemma. The, the birth of Jesus Christ here is now the historical facts surrounding it. In one sense, in Matthew, it's from Joseph's perspective, right? Uh, Luke covers the angel Gabriel's appearance to Mary. And, of course, both are necessary. Looking at it from Luke, looking at it from Matthew, looking at it from Joseph and, and Mary... As the angels are sent from the Almighty to a couple of teenagers whom, the God, whom God the Father has chosen to raise his son. And so we read here in verse 18 that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. And the word, it means promised in marriage. Um, it's a legal uh, uh, covenant. The, the young couple would be committed to each other, undoubtedly an arrangement made by their parents. And so, in one sense, they're kind of married, but but they're not fully married. They don't consummate the marriage until afterwards. We even read that in verse 18 again, that it was after they were betrothed, but it was before they came together. And so, you guys know, most of you, I'm sure, know that they had not been sexually intimate. And so, prior to that, Joseph finds out that his, you know, fiancé is pregnant. Imagine that, guys a tough place to be right and then to further complicate the story uh, mary tells joseph that god is the father you know uh, that she's been you know faithful to joseph faithful to god and they found grace in his eyes and that's why she's been chosen to give birth to this special child so in all honesty unless you knew the story i know for a fact none of us here would believe that and of course, that's where Joseph was, right? And so we read in verse 19, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. You know, to, to be pregnant outside of marriage, I mean, it, it was so severe that in the Jewish law, it was illegal. It was so against the Jewish law that it carried with it the death penalty. 
And so this is what's going on right here. Now, of course, we know that not everyone who committed adultery under the Jewish law was put to death. As a matter of fact, I'd venture to say that probably it rarely happened. You know, you guys remember the story in John chapter 8 where the woman was uh, committing adultery. Uh, and they, so they all brought her to Jesus. Uh, of course, we know Jesus didn't have her stoned to death. Uh, she survived that. The Lord told her to go and sin no more, to stay pure. So, you know, not everyone who committed adultery died. But but here's the thing, you know, if Joseph wanted to, he could, you know, make this happen, man. He could make a case based on the Bible, and he could make Mary a public example. Because, you know, undoubtedly the emotions are rising. He's heartbroken. He's angry. He's thoroughly convinced that the very one that he loved, the one he had set his heart to spend the rest of his life with, had been with another man. And so now she has the audacity not only to bring this information to light, but then to lie about it and to say that God was the one to blame. And so it didn't add up. But we read in verse 19 something interesting, that Joseph didn't want to make her a public example that he had that compassion that somewhere, you know, somehow Mary might be spared the sentence and even the shame that would accompany it. And so we read the reason why in verse 19 that he was a just man. He was a righteous man, that he was a good man. The Greek word means that, uh, virtuous, just. It's the same word used to describe Jesus. In Matthew 27, in verse 19, the Bible says, When he, Pilate, was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man. That, that's a description of Jesus. And here we see that's a description of Joseph. Even though he's thoroughly convinced that he has been wrong, he doesn't want anything bad to happen to the person he, that he thinks did him bad. That's the kind of guy he was. You know, he's a just man, convinced that Mary has committed adultery, hasn't confessed to the crime. And you guys know what that means, right? That means that she's not repentant. That's how he sees it. Which brings Do Joseph to the doorsteps of divorce. But he doesn't want to do it publicly. He wants to do it privately. He wants to do it secretly. And that's where they were. This, this, this family was, was on the brink of, of extinction. And then, and then as he's thinking this through, he's probably praying. He falls asleep. And in verse 20, it says, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. You know, first the dilemma, and then the dream. As he's thinking it through, as he's praying, he falls asleep. And it's interesting what the Bible says. The angel says, don't be afraid. You know, and I don't know really what was going on. I mean, part of me, if that happened to me, I'd probably just be angry. I'd be upset. I'd be hurt. But, but there was something inside of him that was saying, just go ahead and do this, Joseph. But he was afraid. What was he afraid of? I don't know. Afraid it happened again? Afraid of what people would think? 
But the angel comes and he gives him that counsel. And some say it's the angel Gabriel. The Bible doesn't it reveal that for sure. We do know an angel comes. And, and, the, and the angel says, Joseph, don't be afraid to say I do. Don't be afraid for what she says is true. You know, the child within the womb of Mary is supernaturally conceived by God the Holy Spirit. And, and that's exactly what the angel had told Mary back in Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. Remember, Mary said, how can this be? I've never been with a man. And the Bible says in Luke 1, 35, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. That's how it happened. That's how Jesus was conceived. You know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see it was the activity of the triune God. You know, Mary knew it would happen. Here, Joseph, it's revealed to him uh, from the angel. And the angel also says, by the way, it's going to be a boy before ultrasound. And she's going to bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Yeah, and you guys know, huh? Hopefully you know that's one of the basics of Christianity 101, the name of Jesus. You know, that it, it means literally in the Hebrew, Jehovah is salvation. You know, it's the Greek equivalent of the Old Testament, Joshua. And, uh, and it's so, it's in that name, it's compacted in that name, what God has intended to do as he came to the world. And this is what we celebrate this time of year. Salvation. You know, you and I, we are saved. You know, but it's important to, to kind of break that down. Well, what do you mean, Manny, that, that I'm saved? You know, the word saved can mean a lot of different things, right? It, it needs to be considered in the, in the context. Uh, for example, uh, Mariano Rivera has uh, 652 saves and, you know, 19 seasons in the big league. Uh, and so he saved games. You guys remember that guy? He was pretty good, huh? And, and then there's the, the word saved. It can be spoken of in a, in a different field. For example, a financial field. Economists are of the opinion that we should all be saving at least 10% of our gross income. We should have at least three months of savings in the bank. I wonder how many of you guys are doing that, man. You know, but again, it's a different context, right? Um, uh, they save money. You know, uh, how many of you here, when you're on your computer, might forget to save a document? Next thing you know, something happens and it's lost. Have you ever done that? I mean, there's different contexts when it comes to that word as far as, you know, being saved. Saved from death, from fires, from drowning, from choking, by firefighters, lifeguards, friends, maybe even strangers, right? Uh, I think, generally speaking, the word saved is always good, but it's, it's, it's big time good when used within the biblical context of the salvation of our souls. You know, it's saving us from the just judgment and penalty that we all deserve for all our sins. You know, that salvation, that's the current consideration and that's why Jesus came. And that's why the angel told Joseph, 
to name him Jesus. His name means, and it speaks of salvation, because he has saved us. Matthew one twenty one says, from our sins. Notice right there again, verse twenty one, and you shall she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know, and I always tell you guys this. I pray that you would know this. Um, that, you know, three things. Number one, he saves us from the power of sin. And so you don't have to sin anymore, man. Before you were Christians, you didn't have a choice. Before you were Christians, you were in bondage in Egypt. You were slaves to sin. You could not stop. You know, we all struggle with different things, right? You know, some people it's drinking or drugs or, or anger. How many of you here struggle with pride? If we didn't raise our hand, we'd be lying. Pride is the root of all sin. And that's why so many couples argue. It's because they're they're prideful and they want to be right. Right? And your spouse should know that you're right. And so you, you know, you argue or, you know, we struggle with so many different things. I mean, before we couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't change. We, We couldn't, you know, you know, say no. But now we can because Jesus has saved us. He saved us from the power of sin. Now we can live a victorious Christian life. We can go out and we can love people because God has given us his son. We have power and he saved us from the from the penalty of sin. And what that is, I'm I'm sure you guys know, it's Revelation chapter 20, and anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. That's where we should be. That's what we all deserve. Even our best uh, activity, Isaiah 64, it says our, our righteousness is as filthy rats. You know, I know a lot of you guys here, especially you ladies, especially you older ladies, you're way better than I am. There's no doubt about it, man. But, you know, even even your best would not be enough for you to go to heaven, right? Because in order to go to heaven, you have to be perfect. There's no sin there, which, which leads us to the last thing that the Lord has saved us from, not just the power of sin or the penalty of sin, but he saved us from the presence of sin. That one day when we die, that we will be home in heaven in a place where there is no more sin. I can't wait for that day. You know, I love this life and I love this world, but man, when you read about the things that go on around the world, it just is it's hard. It's hard to hear of all these things that are going on. And I pray, Lord, come. Lord, enough. And the Lord's like, man, he be quiet you know i'm on the throne and and in my perfect timing i'm going to save a certain amount of people and they're they're already you know in my book and so you have to be patient in the meantime just trust me that i'm going to take all those things all those calamities all those tragedies and i'm going to work them out for victories and so the lord has saved us he saved us from the penalty and the power, and one day from the presence of sin. And I'll be honest with you, when I uh, think of being saved from the presence of sin, 
I, I don't just look out, I also look in. Because I just hate who I am apart from Jesus Christ. But one day, there'll be no, no more sin here. No more of that. I can't wait. And what that'll do is this, it, it'll change me in so many ways. I'll be taller. I'll, I'll have dark hair. I'll be able to eat pizza and it'll be good for me. <laughs> That's what Jesus came to do. That's what Christmas is all about. Salvation was his mission, right? Luke 19.10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. John 3.17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And that's the heart of God. That's why Jesus came. That's what Christmas is all about. You guys remember the words of Linus quoted from the Gospel of Luke. When I say it with my family, I, 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 I impersonate Linus. But I won't do that with you guys. It says, And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I... Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Remember? I like what John Wesley wrote. He said, Hark, the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn King, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconcile see that's what god has done for us and this is why we celebrate right and this is why we talk about jesus and why he came and the whole story it never gets old never and so we go from the the dream i mean from the dilemma to the dream and then the discovery look at matthew 1 and verse 22 so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. You go from the dilemma to the dream and then to the discovery. I mean, what an awesome thing to know that you know, it was, it was all part of God's plan so that he can make a way so that he could be with us. You know, and so when you look at what the angel does right here, it's interesting to me, even angels know it's always best to give biblical support. And so even the angel says, hey, Matt, oh, Matthew, he's probably saying Matthew, um, this is in the Bible, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse uh, 14, written 700 years before Christ, it was the prophecy, right? That the virgin, think about that, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And I'll bet you almost anything that that was like just the final, you know, point that needed to be made for Joseph to believe. You know, because if you receive a revelation from an angel, you know, Galatians chapter 1 says even that angel better speak the Bible. If he says anything that contradicts the Bible, then it's not of the Lord. And so here's an angel, 
and he gives a message, and I'm sure it was glorious, but remember, it's, it's in a dream, so it's a little different than what Mary experienced, but, but even the angel knew that he had to give biblical support. And once Joseph, you know, looks up the scroll and he's like, wow, it is there. The Bible does say that, you know, when the Messiah would come, that he would be born of a virgin. And then it's so interesting because it says they'll call his name Emmanuel. Now, some might look at this and they might say, well, time out, Manny. You just got done saying that you're supposed to call his name Jesus. Which is it? And, of course, we know as we study uh, the scriptures that it, it was something that maybe not necessarily his name, but I don't know if we can use the word nickname. I mean, it, you know, it, just, it describes who Jesus is. I mean, he's God with us. We talk about that all the time. God came. God's here. God arrived. God visited. And now we know forever that it's God with us. You know, Jesus said, even when he left, I won't leave you orphans. I'll come. And he comes in the person and power of the Holy Spirit. And so when you look at Isaiah 7, 14, it's interesting. You look back to the prophecy and then you also look forward to the promise. And this brings us to the title of today's study, which I opened up with. I know it took a long time to get here, but to me, this is something that's been really heavy on my heart. I know last week, I think it was Pastor Larry, he shared a little bit about, you know, how God is with us. And, and this morning, I, I, it was interesting, you know, because this right here, it hits me hard when I think of the fact that God is perpetually with us. Uh, I was praying with my wife, and I, and I caught something that she said. She said, Lord, thank you that we don't have to go through this journey alone. Thank you that you're with us. And there's something about that truth that changes everything. You know, how important it is to get that, to truly understand that God is with us. Not because you're a perfect person, but because you believe. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that you were a sinner in need of a Savior. You knew He died on that cross and rose again, and you believe. And because you believe, not necessarily because you behave, but because you believe that God is with you. You know, because that's a hard one sometimes. You know, some people, they ask, well, isn't, what does that mean, God with us? It's so generic. It's so vague. I mean, isn't God omnipresent? How can you say he's with you? Isn't he everywhere at all times and therefore with everyone and it's kind of a funny thing to put your finger on it's a truth that's tough to tackle sometimes but you know it's one thing if you think about it because god is omnipresent but it's 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 one thing you know for someone to be in the same room with you i could say that of all of you today hey i'm with you but but it's another thing you know if for someone to to be with you in the sense that they're you know, maybe like they're next to you. They got their arm around you. You know, when they're with you, they're, they're for you. You know, prior to salvation, we were enemies of God. But as a result of the incarnation and the salvation that we experience, we become friends of God. Now he's not against us. He's for us. And that's what we're talking about. You know, that God is, is with us like this. But still... 
you're like, well, what difference does it make in my life? And I think uh, some things are obvious, but, you know, it changes everything that God is with you. Let me give you three things in closing today that, that will be forever changed. And I kind of was thinking about it, how they have a pretty good Christmas uh, connection. God with us. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. I notice what we read in verse 5. It says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And, and so the first way that I think that it helps to know that God is with you, number one is the fight of materialism. The fight of materialism. And if there was a Jeremiah today, you know, if there was a, a prophet today that was sent by God in those ways we read of in the Old Testament, this is one of the gods that he would be preaching uh, to a, the United States of America about. The God of materialism. How do we, you know, escape that? How do we overcome that, 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 you know, conduct of covetousness? How can we come to a place as Americans who see the advertisements everywhere, who have, you know, these wants stuffed down our throats every single day of our lives, who we seem to be in a place where we're never content? How can we get to that place of contentment? It's a, it's a great goal to have. To be content. I like what Socrates said. He said, He is richest who is content with the least. That, that's the richest person. A lot of times you think, well, it's the one who's got the big house, the big car, the big salary. No. The, the richest one is the one who's content with the least. I also like what Shakespeare said. He said, He is well paid that is well satisfied. How many of you here are like, man, I need a raise? And maybe some of you do, right? I'm not against raises. But, you know, uh, when you're well satisfied, then you're well paid. There, there's an aspect of contentment. So I like what these guys say, but I love what this one person said. They said, contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want. It's the realization of what you already have. See, that's contentment. And when we look at our text, when we read Matthew, when we read the promise that God is with us, when we read what we're seeing here in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, not only do you have Jesus, you will always have Jesus. He himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so, you know, that's how you can be content with what you have. That's how you can overcome covetousness. That's how you can win the fight against materialism when you realize that you have God, you have Jesus. You know, the Christmas of today, it doesn't necessarily cultivate contentment, does it, huh? 
I mean, which is it for you? Be honest. Is it P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S or P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E? Is it the presence or is it the presence of God? That's the dichotomy, really, when it comes to Christmas. I think we need to be reminded, man, because this time of year, you know, there's a lot of uh, businesses that are booming they say close to a million jobs are generated because of that. According to a recent ABC News article, $485 billion will be spent for Christmas presents just in our country. As a matter of fact, for many retailers, Christmas brings in 30% of their total annual sales. And so it just basically equates to lots and lots and lots of presents. I'll tell you guys this, man, and I don't know if this is good or bad. It's probably an indictment of myself. But while I was on vacation, I was cleaning up. So much clutter, huh? So much stuff that we accumulate over the years. How many of you guys here? Pack racks? Is that what they call them? (laughs) So on my vacation, I cleaned up two truckloads of trash. Think about that. You know, I'm not talking about the stuff that I'm not using that can be donated to someone to charity. We do that too, but we accumulate things. Why? Because of the fact that we're sold that we need to buy. And, and so be careful. That's what I'm saying. Don't get me wrong. Gifts and giving are a part of the heart of Christmas. There's no doubt about it. But let's make sure we don't forget that Jesus is the reason for the season. Remember that quote from Dr. Seuss' book? You guys remember? You guys read that book, right? How the Grinch Stole Christmas? It says, And then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. What if Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas, perhaps, is a little bit more? I like Dr. Seuss. (laughs) I think I'm related to him. And of course, we know how, you guys, it means a lot more. You know, we're here to remind ourselves that it's not just uh, about the presence. It is all about the presence of God. And I know we're struggling. I know we fall short. Because I do. I fail. But I know that this is based on my faith and what I believe. So no matter who you are, you might be struggling. But if you're a Christian, God is with you. I pray that would encourage you. You know, I mean, it affects, first of all, the fight of materialism. Secondly, it affects the fear of evangelism. And so for that, go back to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, it says in verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
See, and, and when you think about just God with us, you're, you know, you've got to connect the dots, man. And, and here's one that's real important, not just the fight of materialism, but the, the fear of evangelism. You know, I hope you have chosen to accept the fact that you're involved in a mission impossible. But it's not just a mission. The good news, it's a commission. We even call it the great commission. Why? Because Jesus is with us. You know, unfortunately, because we get so entrenched in earthly life and sometimes we're afraid and we think that we can't really make a difference, that we can't really be used as a vessel to bring life to someone, we unfortunately don't share the Lord the way that we should. You know, the other day I was talking to a, a family and they were sharing with me, the mom, how uh, something's happening in her son and he's really bold. And he's just a little guy, man. He's, I don't know how old he is. And um, and they're going to the store and he goes up to the, the, the teller, the checker, whoever it is, and he says, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And he's telling people that. And the mom's all, man, I better be ready huh, to kind of follow up on this, man. You know, but the boldness sometimes of the children, huh? We need that too. And you don't have to be afraid. You can do this. Why? Because he says, he's with you. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Think about that. You're not alone, but the one who's with you, you know, to go and baptize them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. The one who's with you to do that and make disciples of all the nations is Jesus himself. But you got to have a heart like Christ. I mean, I mean, I love what, what Pastor Chuck said. He said, if only the Jews knew that all God ever wanted to do was save the world. And he wants to use them to do it. That's where we're at today. All God wants to do is save the world. And he wants to use us to do it. This time of year especially, it's an opportunity, huh? We can be bold. We can tell them, you know, Merry Christmas. We don't have to say season's greetings or happy holidays. You know, we can share the whole message of Christmas, man. I pray that you don't let this season go by. I shouldn't probably shake my finger, huh? <laughs> I pray we don't let this season go by without sharing the Lord Jesus Christ. Man. We got this, you know, he's with us so we can win the fight against materialism and we can you know relinquish the fears of evangelism and then the last one is the fate of terrorism and for that if you would turn to genesis 39 and i'm just thinking about the christmas context you know because this time of year, believe it or not, a lot of people get depressed. They get discouraged and they get defeated by the devil. And I know it's hard, especially at the maybe the passing of a loved one. You know, we we miss them. You know, all these years we have these Christmas traditions and now they're not here. But but man, the, a lot of times, you know, they're with the Lord. You know, that, that's an awesome, wonderful thing for them. And, and when, you, when you think about God, God with us, how God's on the throne, how God's sovereign, 
Uh, God has a purpose even in the pain. He's got a wonderful and perfect plan. It just helps us with that whole thing. The, the, the fate of terrorism, the terrible things that happen in life are often amplified this time of year. They often lead to depression, discouragement, defeat. And the reason for that, I believe, is because it's from the number one terrorist in the world, and that's the devil himself. And he wants to take us down. But we must know that God's with us. And Joseph is an anomaly in the Old Testament because the promise is really for those under the New Covenant. But Joseph, like David, experienced certain aspects of the New Covenant. And one of them we see just so clearly, you know, spoken over his life was the fact that God was with him. You know, and God gave him dreams. He shouldn't have shared them with his brothers, but he did, you know. And his dad liked him, and he was smart, and he had a coat of many colors, and they didn't like the fact that he was, you know, favored. And so you guys remember the story? His brothers, his brothers sold him into slavery. Think about that. And so there, there's Joseph, sold by his brothers. He lost his family. He sunk in slavery. But notice what we read in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. I mean, for Joseph, it was so obvious that even the non-believers saw it. You know, and, and Joseph, I love this guy. Can't wait to, to meet him in heaven. But, you know, here he has lost everything. Family, he's in slavery. But he's still serving the Lord. And when you do that, it's going to be obvious to everyone that God's with you. And that's what we see in the life of Joseph. You know, you would figure that, you know, that's about as low as you could go, but no. <laughs> you know, you guys probably know the story. We don't have time to do this. But he went from the, the pits to the prison you know, it's one thing to be a hard worker, which he was here. It's another thing to be a prisoner. But real quick, look at Genesis 39 and verse 23. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And, and that's, what happens? That's the connection. That's the application. That no matter what you're going through, and you know, there might be some here, but I doubt there's anyone here whose situation is worse than Joseph. God hasn't forsaken you. God's with you. And you guys know that eventually what ended up happening is he went from the pit and he went to the prison and eventually he went to the and Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it says that what the enemy intended for evil, God used for good. And listen, that's what will happen in your life as you keep your eyes on the Lord, no matter what you're going through, 
us. God, 